You are listening to Primal Radio, the podcast dedicated to combat sports, martial arts, self-defense, and the warrior mindset. And here are your hosts from Hamilton, New Jersey, Jim McCann, and London, England, Tom McGrath. Okay, welcome to Primal Radio. No Jim McCann today. His gym has been closed down due to the coronavirus and he has rather a lot on his plate as a result. So I'm pleased to announce a replacement. Sifu Jeremy Lynch from the Wednesday Night Group in California, who we've had on the show in the past, who I thought would be a great guy to step in and sort of bring the kind of level of entertainment that we need here. Welcome to the show, Jeremy. Thanks, man. Hope I can be entertaining and informative at the same time. Yeah, and when I when I asked you to come on the show, I think it's difficult to strike the right balance. So today we're going to be talking about coronavirus, and you've got to strike the right balance between entertaining, informative, maybe seeing the funny side of things, but also recognizing this is some serious shit that's affecting a lot of people's lives, right? Yes, indeed. I agree with that. Yeah, so I just thought I'd open the show saying we're recording this today on Sunday the 29th of March, which means I will probably have edited it and released it a couple of days later. Things are moving very quickly in terms of statistics. So I was originally going to record this show last Sunday and even since then a lot's changed. So coming up later, we're going to have some input from a friend who's a doctor, Asif Nazim, which was recorded last Sunday. So the current global total of coronavirus cases is 707,000. The deaths is 33,500 and 150,000 have recovered. In the UK, as an example, there is a lack of testing going on, which means you can't necessarily rely on these figures. And a lot of people, you know, it's not reported and we're in early days. So the recovered number is always going to seem quite low as well. So um, I caveat those figures. How are things over there in the US, Jeremy? Well, I got to say, it's very interesting because we've had some of the, you know, the same issues. You know, people were very surprised at how slow or, you know, how long it took for the tests to come out, the testing kits and things like that. But I just saw yesterday, I live in a place called San Bernardino County. It's quite a large county near L.A. And they've opened up a drive through test center. And there's people standing there in surgical masks and they have a kit, a swab. I don't know. I think they stick it up their nose or in their mouth or whatever. And they, they drive through and get tested. And I'm still trying to figure out what the benefit of that is, except for the fact, obviously, you, you know, if you feel a little sick, you want to know that you're not don't have the coronavirus. But, but it's that, that's the first time I'd ever heard of any of that happening. And for it to be right here in my, my own county, it's quite interesting. California has been in a basic lockdown well, we became more strict about a week ago, but there was the basic, you know, so, social distancing. We have cases coming down into California. Then my the university I worked for about two weeks ago said we are going to be a remote campus. So we're still open. We're sending the students home and they are going to be doing testing and all this from home. But we ca- we were still coming to work. And it was kind of like, OK, the governor made another decision about a week and a half ago said, you know what, I'm going to need you guys to stop working in the same rooms with each other (laughs) and uh, maybe go on home. And it was funny because, you know, a lot of people you would think are like, okay, you know, let's do this. Let's get this thing, uh, nip it in the bud, which is how everybody's attitude should be. Others are just like, 
well, this is kind of inconvenient. I, I need to get my work done. And I, I walked into a room where there was there was like 10 people in the same room. You could feel the, the moisture and the, you know, the, just the heat coming off of everybody's bodies. And I'm like, yeah, no, this isn't okay. Get back to your own areas. But as of eight, nine days ago, we have been ordered to work from home. And that, the fact that I work in IT, you know, we have quite a lot of work because we are keeping this remote campus up and running and people are, you know, we're the ones that set up this technology. Thankfully, in advance, you know, we had already had this ability. We've had to tighten it up a bit and making it, you know, make it stronger. People are working effectively from home right now for a fairly large campus, not not a big one. It's a private university, but uh, there's probably about, I don't know, 300 staff members working from home. We're waiting for the new quarter to start. We have kind of an extended spring break. But yeah, as far as Jeet Kune Do goes, I did continue to have small sessions outdoors for a little while. And then I finally called. I mean, I had some people that were very disappointed I wasn't going to continue to do the classes. But I was like, I got people driving in from other cities. And it's just a bit irresponsible for me to, to allow, you know, this kind of contact and then just kind of send them on their way and, and then go back into my family. and They go back into theirs, especially the kind of thing that martial arts, when you get very if you're teaching it well, you tend to touch each other and get really close and breathe on each other and things like that. So we have definitely shut that down. I did try a, a Zoom class Thursday night. How did that work for you? It was interesting. You know, it was not the way I like to teach, that's for sure. I have to ask the students still how, how they liked it. If everybody had a partner, I think it would be fine. I think we would be, you know, it's still not the ideal way to teach, but it's kind of funny because it's, it's like you either want to do it with no partners and you focus on exercise or you have, everybody have, there's two people. Well, we had one set that called in, had a partner and so they were ready to work with each other. They had, they lived together, you know, so they have their focus close, but everybody else did not have a partner. And so I'm like, well, one guy has a heavy bag. Go, you know, so I, I think if I do anything in the future, it'll be like, hey, like, guys, you guys want to stay in shape? Let's work out together. You know, if they find that interesting, it, it'll probably be much more focused on the calisthenics and the way to, to train to keep them their body effective in martial arts, specifically Jeet Kune Do. But sometimes you just have to kind of bite the bullet and say, all right, guys, we're doing this for everybody's good. It's going to be a little tight right now. But uh, if we keep making ex exceptions, you know, and sneaking out and doing the little things we want to do, we're a big part of the problem, right? So, you know, that's that's why I did go ahead and shut down the classes. And my classes come to my house. You know, I don't have a, a public place. And Tim Tackett had already asked me not to do. He, he and his wife were sick. And honestly, I was a little nervous because it sounded, you know, flu-like symptoms. And they were, were both very ill in Redlands there. And uh, he said, yeah, don't, let's not do classes for maybe another three weeks. And that was before I stopped mine, just because he was feeling ill and didn't want anyone coming by and, and compromising his immune system. We shut that down. Uh, the Wednesday night group itself has been closed temporarily, obviously. And then my personal classes, we have stopped doing private lessons, anything like that. So I'm always here for people to email or call or text uh, or video chat if, they, if, if we have the time. But it's definitely different. And California, you know, you, you definitely see it. People go to the stores. If somebody sneezes, man. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's like a cartoon. They scatter. It's like when they throw that stick of dynamite in the room, you know. <laughs> Everybody shoots off to a different direction. The head of my IT department is an, is an Asian guy. He's Thai. And he was telling us that he was in Home Depot. He got He has bad allergies. So somebody picked up a pallet, kicked up some dust, and he said he couldn't stop coughing and he had to run out of the store 
just the the way people's bodies kind of leaned back at a like a almost a, a you know a 50 degree angle from him. This poor guy, he had he had to run out of there. He thought they were going to arrest him. He, he says, "Man, yeah, I just I just can't go anywhere. There's dust anymore because uh, people look at me like I'm uh, I'm carrying the plague." <laughs> Definitely understand it, but. <laughs> Yeah, I, I can picture myself having been on the subway, like the tube over here, <laughs> needing to sneeze and somehow managed to hold it in because I knew everyone would have looked at me, you know? Yeah. Definitely very conscious at the moment. I'll just kind of top line how it's affected me. So okay. there was murmurs of what was going on and that they were going to make, take some decisions around what was happening when we saw Italy, how badly Italy was being affected. Yes. On the 17th, I got sent home from work at lunchtime and have worked from home ever since. I went for training with the army and we, we were like doing the final rehearsals for what's called my pass-in parade. So it's when you like officially pass into the regiment as kind of a fully qualified soldier. Nice. Yeah, so that was supposed to happen on the 24th. That was then cancelled. So we basically put on our uniforms, albeit with brown boots. We, we didn't have the ceremonial boots on. And then we were like promptly dismissed and sent home, although we did go to the pub on the way home. <laughs> Later that week, the government announced that all sort of things like pubs, gyms, schools, they all closed on the Friday of that week. Since then, I've just been going through the motions at home. I had one little lifeline for fitness, which was these British military fitness classes that I did. They are in your local park. And what they've done is they'd introduced various measures to keep social distancing in effect. So you were two metres apart from your colleagues at all time. There was no partner drills. Nice. And it was a nice thought that I would continue to be able to do that. But I think they've bowed to pressure and cancelled their classes pretty promptly. <laughs> so there is literally nothing for me to do other than go to the shop. So, yeah, that's that's kind of how everything's affected me. Is the whole of America affected now? Is the whole of America in this kind of lockdown state? What things are you still able to do there? Just to kind of go back to how it's affecting us, you know, this is... Uh... I would love to do the research and find out who the first person was that told everybody that toilet paper was their number one necessity. A bunch of people saw a video or a post or something and, and you know, people went nuts weeks ago, weeks ago before there was any kind of thing about closing anything down or sending anyone home. And it was like you couldn't get toilet paper. And so now they start having to ration toilet paper. And it's like, guys, if you need that much toilet paper, you got another problem, man. <laughs> Maybe we should have you at the emergency room right now. The problem is it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Because the fact that there's no toilet paper at all, now anytime you go to the store and you see a roll of toilet paper, you're like, well, I better buy that because when am I going to get toilet paper again? People need to chill out. And it's the same thing with like the, the rules of social distancing. You know, people get upset. They're like, well, this is, my, this is my income. So you keep making exceptions for the next three months and you keep spreading it instead of just doing the two weeks where we can see, you know, who is infected right now. Because obviously it takes a while to see the, the symptoms sometimes. So if you can keep people from going out and licking each other's cheeks and whatever the people do in, in, in your country, you know, or, 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 you know, kind of took a while for us to say, OK, this is serious. God bless uh, Italy and I pray for them, you know, and everything over there. But it's like it unfortunately, sometimes you have to see it hit people hard for you to go, oh, oh, maybe we should take it a little more seriously. And so there was a post I saw somewhere on a news thing where somebody, uh, I don't remember which outlet, but it was like somebody in Italy was like, please learn from us. We did not take this seriously. They said, keep, keep away from each other. Stop kissing each other like in France. You know, that's a, that's a greeting. And then, you know, I've told my son who's 16 and I have to say he has taken it seriously. Young people who don't care about the economy, don't care. About, they're like, yeah, it doesn't affect us. We're healthy. My son runs like a five minute mile and, you know, and he's. You know, it's pretty healthy. 
this isn't just about not dying. This is about not killing someone else. This is about, you know, not hurting other people. I'm a Christian. It's like that's that's built into me. And then as a, just a fellow human being, we need to to be looking out for each other. But, it you know, now in California was, well, after Washington State, that was where they saw the first case, at least on this side it was. And that was somebody that had been on a cruise ship. And those were people that were specifically from Wuhan had been on that ship. He was tested. I think he lived in an elder care place. And by the time his symptoms showed, it was like, oh, a bunch of other people are infected. California was then very quickly next. And then now it's kind of like the other states are not quite as badly locked down, but the federal government is now saying, okay, guys, everybody needs to do this as far as possible. Obviously, trucks need to, to need to ship food to stores and pick up stuff. And, th- and that's good because most truck drivers are working by themselves in their vehicle. But people people start creating their own disasters in their own minds. It's like, oh, well, what if there's never any food again? Well, I better stock up for two weeks because, you know, it's like, well, <laughs> that's not going to really help. In the weird world of martial arts, yeah. we get exposed to people like preppers. Have you sort of any of these doomsday merchants come up to you and sort of said, I told you so? You know, what's funny is I had a guy, he was from a particular religious persuasion, but, but I think he was even strange for them. Like, I, I'm pretty sure I've known a few others, and I think he came up with some of his own stuff. He was mixing Aztec religion in with his stuff. In other words, it was a, it was a hodgepodge. It wasn't, you know, theirs is bad or his is good or whatever. It was just he started mixing things in. And he he used to come to my class. He would always want to stop in the middle of the class and start telling people about these theories, and he would want to stay afterwards. And I, and I said, look, man, if anybody has the right to make this their podium to talk about their beliefs, it's me. And I don't do that unless people want to know. They know that, that I'm a Christian. They know that I believe what I believe, and I'm happy to talk about it. But they have paid me to teach them martial arts, and nobody has paid you to teach them anything. <laughs> well, the funny thing was, this guy about 10 years ago dropped off the map. He says, oh, I'm going off the grid. I'm, I'm going off grid because the Chinese are coming across the borders in Canada and, and this and that. And there's you know prison camps all over the U.S. that are arresting people for having guns and so on. And I said, oh, really? Have you seen him? And he says, oh, well, I've seen pictures on, on, you know, on the Internet. I said, oh, OK, well, that's accurate. Well, the reason I tell you about this is that before I, I had to come home from work, this was like, like a week and a half ago, I'm at, I'm at work. And my son texts me a picture of this weird looking old dude standing in my yard. And he goes, there's some weird guy was standing outside talking to the picture of Bruce Lee. And I was like, he goes, I thought it was you. I thought you were joking around because it sounded like your weird Popeye voice that you do. I said, what? He goes, yeah. And then I, then finally he, he kept yelling stuff and talking and looked like he was talking to Bruce Lee because we have a picture of Bruce up where the class is, you know, which, which we do outdoors. And I said, oh, it's that weird, uh, that weird guy that used to tell us all about his conspiracy theories and, and all this. And I, I said, I, get, I bet he was coming by to tell us his newest theories and my son looks quite a bit like me now. He probably saw him through the window and thought it was me and was outside, you know, yelling and talking, thinking I'd come out. You know, that is the one major thing that stands out. And then I've had other people that like to pass around the stuff that they learn from Facebook. You know, I got the one from hey, the, you know, the National Guard is being uh, sent out in the next 48 hours. The federal government doesn't want to tell you yet because they don't want you to panic. But this is actually supposed to be coming from the National Guard, right? They're saying that we're going to tell you this, but the federal government doesn't want us to want you to know. Trump is going to send us out in the next 48 hours to lock everybody in their houses so they can't even go out and get groceries. So hurry up and go get groceries. And I had some of my students sending me this. Now, this had been going around for weeks, weeks. It was something that was supposed to happen in the next 48 hours. And I'm like, please don't send this to people. 
you're causing more problems. Immediately responded and says, oh, I just talked to somebody at the National Guard that works with the National Guard. They said, yeah, this isn't true. But he sent it first. There's so much spreading of misinformation and we're in that era, I guess. It's natural that people are going to speculate as well. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, everybody has an idea. It's like, okay, how's this going to affect me? Obviously, you start to see how people think, you know, and and, uh, it's it's a lot harder to think about others sometimes. But it's at these times that you kind of know that you you can also see the strength in people. And there's been some really great things. You know, you've seen seen some people really helping out in some of these massive, massive lines. There's some old lady that couldn't... uh, they couldn't get her stuff and she didn't know how to get her cart into the line and some lady let her go in front of her. But everybody else in the line was about ready to kill her <laughs> for letting the lady go in front. But it's but at least you see these nice little acts of kindness here and there. Here in California, we've had we've had it a little earlier than the rest of the country. And so now the rest of the country is starting to adjust to the idea of social distancing. It works. Okay. The point is this stuff works. To keep away from each other, you, the idea is to slow down until maybe we can find a vaccine or something else, but give the hospitals a chance to deal with who's coming in. And sometimes people never even had heard of that theory. They didn't even know what social dis- what the reasons were. It was just like, oh, there's a plague coming through. Everybody, nobody touch each other. You know, we're all going to die. And it's like, just even saying that helped to calm them down a little bit. It's like, oh, is that why we're doing this? <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's, we're, we're flattening the curve. You know, that's, that's kind of what we're trying to do here. It does work. I mean, it's 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 hard to say exactly how effective because you don't know who's infected now. But uh, it's uh, unfortunate. You know, some people go to the news and they get they get everything that's in the news, and it all doesn't even agree. Have you met anyone that has had it? I just heard, and I haven't spoken to him yet. One of my students named named Alex. Yeah, I know Alex. Yeah. Yeah, I just found out that he has it up. He lives in Northern California. You know, I'm going to check in on see how he's feeling. He's young and healthy. Um, he's He got it from his wife. She got it from her boss is what I heard. And again, I haven't spoken to him, but I've been so busy. I haven't really been doing much Facebook or anything like that. The information I got was from one of my other students, though, who stays in contact with him. You know, he says, he says, yeah, Alex has got the, the he's got COVID-19. He was tested. It's it's for sure. He got it from his wife. She got it from her boss. Now, the city I live in is called Yukaipa. It's a very small city. And so, you know, you kind of think like, well, we're kind of out of harm's way for the most part. But people in California especially travel a lot. Like some people drive an hour and a half to get to their job every day in one direction. So yesterday I found out that an old folks home in my city, Yukaipa, 12 people were tested positive. So it's not somebody I know, but it was like pretty close to home all of a sudden. It's yeah, it's, it's getting closer. My mom lives in Canada. She doesn't have it, but she lives out in the middle of nowhere. Her doctor told her, don't go to the store just yet. You know, stay in, stay in if you can, because she has a weakened immune system. Well, I don't know about weakened immune system, but she has other health problems. He's kind of like, don't go to the store just yet. But yeah, so far, thankfully, uh, Alex and his wife are the only one that I know of that, that have this particular disease. What, what about you? Have you? You know anybody that's gotten it? Three people. The lack of testing means that none of them have actually had that 100% confirmed. Oh, wow. Two of them are from the army. <laughs> what they reported to me was that they both lost briefly the sense of taste and smell. Wow. One of them had never had flu before, but he said, like, you know, I just can't see it being anything else. You know, he was like knocked out really for about seven days. Oh, man. 
and then another one of our friends from the martial arts world i'm not going to name people because i think there may be a stigma attached to these things yes is going through it now and, and, and they've had it for like three weeks and they caught it in the u.s returned to their country of origin and yeah they've been laid low now for, for three weeks he's at the tail end of it now but he's still having you know he's lost a lot of weight lung function isn't amazing at the moment i have heard you know we don't know the, the effects yet but i have heard from people that you know you may have this now and it may be that you only see the true effect of it when you hit hit about 70 in terms of will reduce your lung function your heart function to some extent yeah that leads us nicely into what I'm going to play now, which is a section from my doctor friend Asif talking about what coronavirus is and the measures that we can all take to to combat that. So uh, here's Asif. Okay, so this is like the second part of the show and we're going to talk about medical facts, what the coronavirus is and what we should be doing about it. I've brought a guest onto the show today, which is my friend Asif Nassim. He's one of the nicest blokes I've genuinely ever met. He's a UK-based doctor and he's a JKD practitioner who both Jim and I have turned to for medical advice. I'd just like to make it clear that we're not putting Asif on the show as a government COVID-19 expert. But, you know, he's he's got the medical experience. He knows his stuff and uh, I think it's relevant to have him on. So, Asif, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, uh, Tom and Jim. I really appreciate you uh, calling me in. And uh, yeah, it's an honor to be on the show. You do listen to the show, right? Of course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've been keeping up to date. Good man. <laughs> as <you> know, <laughs> Good man. So as I said at the outset of this show, you know, it's difficult to balance the need to be sort of entertaining with the seriousness of this outbreak. My first question to you is what are the symptoms and like how does this differ from flus and why is everyone so concerned? This is quite a different kind of beast, if you like. You know, first of all, my heart goes out to anybody out there who's been affected by this. And obviously, the fact remains that, you know, the social isolation side of things is affecting a lot of people and businesses and, you know, livelihoods. But it's a really important aspect. I'm going to come on to that in a bit. The symptoms really are primarily fever, cough, and just feeling generally tired. And those are the three primary symptoms that seem to have come out of this. For example, with a flu or just a simple cold, you might just experience runny nose, sneezing, a little bit of a sore throat. But there was more emphasis on sore throat, cough and fatigue and fever uh, with COVID. However, the symptoms, they do overlap. So I'm afraid it is a little bit still tricky to pick it apart from other conditions, which is why um, there's a blanket statement from the government about let's make sure that if you have just got a, a persistent cough or a fever, you stay in isolation. Most of our listeners are like around the rest of the world, but our president, sorry, president, <laughs> prime minister in the UK, yeah. Boris yeah. Johnson was talking about the importance of recognising that this isn't just like the flu, which a lot of people were saying. Uh, do, you, do you want to elaborate on that? I think I need to talk to you guys about the reproductive ratio of this condition. I think that's what the problem is that people aren't getting the idea about. And it does frustrate me as well as a medical practitioner and, and obviously seeing and treating people we do definitely need to take this seriously. And I know that people don't trust politicians uh, when it comes to these things. However, the scientists have been shouting about this much longer than the politicians have been. They're only now just catching on. And the trouble with politicians, obviously, is that they need to balance social discord against economic value impact and obviously the impact of the disease. And so I'm just going to do a very quick education bit about the reproductive ratio, so R0. And so every disease has got an R0, which is basically the degree of spreadability, how much can I spread this condition if I have it? And so 
with the flu, it's about 1.3. So if I've got the flu, I can infect 1.3 people in a room. Whereas with COVID, um, I can infect anything up to two or three people. So if I go to a party, I can infect three people. Those three people will go and infect another nine people, as again, the reproductive level of it, 27, 81. If you keep multiplying, 243, 729, by a time of six weeks, almost 2,000 people have got it. And so that reproductive ratio is essentially what is driving government decision to call for social isolation. And it is really important because it's spread so quickly and amongst so many people that it is uh, obviously going to reach the most vulnerable in the society and cause deaths, which is what it's doing now. And just to reiterate the kind of the best practice stuff around what we can do in our day-to-day lives to prevent this. Obviously, everyone's heard about the fact that it's transmitted through droplets um, and you need to absorb it through your mucous membranes, so your nose, your mouth. And so the two main areas, well, well, the main one is obviously coughing and sneezing. And so covering your mouth with a tissue or, you know, sneezing into your elbow has been a big kind of government campaign. And so if you do have symptoms, then you don't want to spread it, first of all. And then obviously, it's kind of making sure you're washing your hands for 20 seconds. 20 seconds is quite important because a lot of people just kind of run their hands for five seconds in the water and that's it, they're out. But um, it's really important that you do wash for 20 seconds and then disinfecting as well. So using antiviral, antibacterial products to disinfect surfaces where this might be. And just to give you a bit of background, so not only is it particles that come from the respiratory tract, so from coughing and sneezing, it can also come from your poo. So if you've done a poo, you can release particles that way. You can then, with a lack of toilet paper nowadays, people not cleaning themselves probably, <laughs> leaving the, the toilet, going to wash their hands, they've touched the handles, they've touched the locks. Now you go in there, you go to use it, and they haven't washed their hands properly. Then, And if you touch your face or touch anything else, then you can infect yourself as well. So there are two primary routes where you can pick it up from. And so by kind of cleaning these surfaces and you know, making sure you're disinfecting where you might be in contact with it, and the virus has been found to basically be present for almost up to 24 hours on these surfaces and if I cough or sneeze in a room it can be lingering in that area for about three hours so you could come in two hours later walk through that space and potentially pick it up as well which also adds to that whole bit about keeping your two meters distance from other people in a social isolation. If I think I might have it I don't but (laughs) (laughs) Uh, what should I do if someone thinks they might have it what should I what should they do what's the process? So, yeah, I mean, I think it's about just being sensible and that obviously people still have other conditions. So, you know, you could still get a chest infection, you could still get tonsillitis and these symptoms can be similar. So I think it's about using your common sense. So in a sense, if if you have got a little bit of fever, take paracetamol, go home, get some rest and you need to isolate yourself immediately. Now, if you've got actual symptoms, that's quite important because that means you need to not only social distance yourself. So the social distancing is keeping out of public spaces and coming in contact with other people. So that's for people that who do not have any symptoms. But to isolate yourself probably means isolate yourself inside your house as well. So that means essentially not being too close to your uh, people that you're living with in your house, cleaning your surfaces regularly, and taking care of any symptoms. So because it's a virus, unfortunately there's not very many treatments, you can only take medication to try and help the symptoms you're getting. So if you're getting a sore throat or fever, you take you know, painkillers and you take drugs to lower your fever. If, however, your symptoms progress, so you're having difficulty breathing, and that's obviously the the severe complication with this problem, uh, with this condition, 
then that's different than in that situation. You don't want to just sit at home and wait, wait this one out. You need to pick up the phone and you need to call your local health service. So in the UK, it's 111, and then I'm not sure what it is in the US, but uh, essentially you need to get advice. You need to make, put your hand up and say, look, I'm not well, and uh, I need advice. What is the science behind social distancing? Yeah, so I think it just goes back to that R0 and reproductive ratio, really. So, so that exponential growth needs to stop. Well, it needs to be reduced, or so you probably read about the flattening of the curve. Essentially, the exponential growth will continue as long as people keep integrating and keep meeting each other and going, going to restaurants and events and stuff. So we need to flatten that down. We need to stop getting people to interact with each other so that we can stop the spread of the disease. It won't cure it by any means. And the social distancing, the science behind it essentially is if we can get people away from each other and stop passing the virus around, then what we can do is flatten that peak curve and then stop um, the most vulnerable dying from it. At the moment in the UK, they've said that's going to be for three months. And what we've seen in China is now the rates of death and the rates of new infections have reduced and in some days have not had any new infections. The likelihood is, though, that once people start to integrate again, this will start to pick up again. What we're trying to do, we're playing the long game. You know, people are going to unfortunately die from this condition and they're going to continue dying for the rest of the year and probably for another year, most likely afterwards. But what we can do is trying to reduce that number by well people like possibly, you know, you and me who don't have any symptoms going around and then passing it on to other people who are more vulnerable and may pick up the condition. And if we can flatten that curve and it can then give us time, the only way to really deal with this is to develop a vaccine. And the other theory is obviously herd immunity, which I'm sure everyone in the UK is banging their head about. The issue with herd immunity is that, A, you need to start coming in contact with people in order for it to happen. But social distancing is not going to help with that. Everyone's going to be locked in their houses. So you can't really develop herd immunity. But also you probably have to kill a lot of people with herd immunity before you'd actually get enough people to be uh, immune to the condition. And so the best bet is to draw this out, get the numbers down, let small peaks occur, but control it very quickly whilst we buy time until we can get a vaccine that can then deal with it. And the only other obviously element to that is that unfortunately we can't predict if that's going to work because it's possible that the the coronavirus will then mutate again and then something else will occur. What I mean by that is in 2002 we had SARS, in 2012 we had MERS, which are the other versions of coronavirus. They were also endemics that occurred or outbreaks that occurred as well. And so it always mutates and it changes and it comes and it comes back in a different form. Two questions on that then. One, given that we've had similar viruses out there before, should we have been better prepared? And the other question is, are we just simply sort of delaying the inevitable? Well, let me rephrase that. Are we slowing things down so that our health service can cope more than anything else? Yeah, let's answer the second one first. So yes, definitely. I think that's essentially what we're doing. We're buying time. Um, We don't have enough beds. We don't have enough hospital space, enough clinicians to treat unwell patients. And we definitely don't have enough ITU beds. And this is obviously that serious complication, which we touched on earlier, is that it can cause difficulty breathing, fluid to accumulate in your lungs, and then obviously people unfortunately can't breathe. And that can happen quite rapidly from the onset of from zero to up into within 14 days up to 40 days, but usually within 14 days, people can become very unwell 
and have breathing difficulties. So that puts a huge burden on the NHS and the amount of beds and spaces that we have available to treat them. So if we can kick this a little bit down the road, what we're doing is we're spreading out that curve. We're flattening it down so that the number of cases, we're still going to keep getting them over the next three months in the social isolate, uh, social distancing. We're still going to get cases of people going to come in unwell because unfortunately of the fact that this has been going on since December. So we're going to see all that latent effect of the condition. But there will be the numbers hopefully will be small enough for us to be able to deal with them, get them out of hospital. And obviously the majority of people recover from this and I don't want to be alarmist. Not many people are dying from this. Majority are recovering, um, and the majority have actually mild symptoms. And some people don't even know they've got it. However, the death rate at the moment is about one point five to two percent. And if we can try and reduce that down so that our system can cope with it, then that helps. Go back to the first question. Yes, I mean I think this is what virologists, epidemiologists, and scientists have been working on for many years around the world. And every year they always try and predict the influenza vac- influenza strains and produce vaccines to try and prevent number of deaths every year. The trouble is, it's really hard to predict what's going to mutate. And so, for example, MERS, which is the Middle Eastern Respiratory Distress Syndrome, which occurred in 2012, came from, mutated from bats to camels to then humans. And this one is, uh, has occurred from another intermediate host called pangolians, from what I understand. So we can't really predict what kind of version of the coronavirus will occur. So you can't just make a a generic vaccine to kill all coronaviruses because there are obviously variations of it. Interesting. These bats are real, uh, real fuckers, aren't they? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> what we need is Batman. <laughs> so with the benefit of hindsight, there wouldn't be anything, you know, we would have definitely done differently. No, I think there could have been, actually. So a bit like with what happened with SARS in 2002, uh, China quite quickly um, grounded anybody who had symptoms, isolated them, there wasn't any social distancing, but and obviously it's a slightly different condition. Obviously, this is this is this is much more infective. So the R naught on this on this condition is much more higher. From what I understand, by the way, I'm not an epidemiologist. So sorry, somebody can correct me out there. But I think um, we were just too slow to wake up to it. I don't think anybody took it seriously. And obviously, being such a connected world now, when the first symptoms started coming out and people were p- attending the hospitals in China, it was all particularly coming from this one market. And they had some unusual cases of pneumonia or respiratory disease. So those people, there was five or six primary cases that came out. And those people obviously had to be in contact with other people. And, and obviously Hubei province uh, and Wuhan has been quite well connected industrially. So there's a lot of factories there. And so a lot of international travelers go there as well. And so unfortunately, it was just likely to spread. And you don't really sometimes have symptoms for up to five to seven days. So, you know, you could infect me today. I can go to my clinic for the next week, um, see all my patients. If I see maybe 30 patients a day for the next week, I will then potentially infect up to three people each time when I see them. So essentially, I would have then infected all those people before I even realize that there's a problem. Therein lies the problem. As a frontline doctor, yeah, what's your perception of you know how the medical services are coping and you know, what are you seeing? Yeah, I mean, again, this is just my opinion and is not reflective of any, any kind of government piece or NHS. I'm not a spokesperson for any of those, th- any of those uh, organizations. But I think once the news and the story landed and the, the cases started emerging in the UK and particularly after Italy, obviously Italy was our biggest um, wake up call. And then obviously France came quite quickly behind it. 
I think the medical community came together quite quickly. And what I'm seeing is actually quite a lot of collaboration. I'm seeing a lot of people coming together to try and get on top of this. And that's quite refreshing because occasionally in the medical world, there's always quite territorial about their, you know, their specialities and things like that. You know, whereas at the moment, we're kind of relying on all our doctors, all our clinicians to kind of chip in and work together to try and kind of get on top of this, you know, clear spaces in hospitals, reduce people being admitted to hospital. So there's like a very collaborative approach. We all know how serious this is. And so a lot of work is being done behind the scenes. This whole weekend, I've just been working constantly to try and make sure that we're coming up with plans and protocols for the coming week um, as we move from kind of face-to-face appointments to now only telephone appointments so that we stop people being exposed. But I think they're coping relatively okay, but I think we're going to struggle in the next couple of weeks. um, It's going to hit home. And I think that's what the government is preparing us for. We're going to probably struggle for spaces in beds, uh, beds, sorry, in, in particularly in intensive care units. And I think we're probably going to see more deaths occur. I think there's going to be this equilibrium, but that might take about six to eight weeks to happen where the health service catches up and able to get on a kind of be ahead of the curve a little bit. But unfortunately, without testing and we're not testing enough people, that's one of the biggest problems. Yeah. You know, you can look at the statistics all you want. I mean, I think obviously related to the deaths, you know, those are kind of factual. We're testing obviously anybody who's who's unfortunately very severely ill in hospital. However, we're not testing people out there in the community. There could be lots of people suffering in their homes right now with the condition and not know they have it. And so the actual statistics and the values aren't very accurate, apart from the deaths, obviously. So I think there's going to be probably more pressure. I'm pretty sure the government's going to move towards more harsher measures for social distancing, like France has done by imposing fines and you know people can't leave their homes without official documentation, etc. So, uh, and I think in Spain and in Italy, people aren't even allowed to leave, only allowed to leave the house to buy groceries and that's it. You can't even go for exercise. So when we come out the back of this, yes, what do you think we would have learned and how will society have changed? So I think, for example, I think we'll start working it from home more. I think there'll be sort of more respect and hopefully more investment into the medical services. I think people will wash their hands more. But, you know, what do you perceive... Okay to be what we'll learn from all this yeah i mean i think people will probably hopefully learn to be kinder to each other (laughs) if anything hopefully that will happen um because i've already seen a lot of communities um coming together helping each other out you know people on streets and roads like getting to know each other more helping those who are needing to isolate helping those more vulnerable in society the sad truth of the reality is i'm maybe a bit of a pessimist but i think within about six months or so this will all blow over and people will forget about it who won't forget about it is industry, people who've been affected financially. I think there's going to be a big drive, as you quite rightly said, how do we move towards being able to get our workers to work more from home? There's so many places now and so many industries that are basically can't allow their workers to work from home. And now they're kind of scratching their heads thinking, we've got all these people on a paycheck and they're not working for us, but they have to sit at home because the government told them to. So I think what's going to drive a change is economics, to be honest. It's going to be the fact that people are going to be thinking back to this time, thinking, wow, that was a massive economic impact on us. How are we going to mitigate this for next time? Because epidemics and pandemics will occur. They've always occurred. They'll continue to occur at different points sporadically. And we just need to be better prepared for it. I mean, the trouble is that governments just don't invest as much in science technology, looking for these viruses, rapidly producing vaccines, Uh, looking for the next outbreak 
because it's just not sexy. You know, they'd rather invest it in really nice helicopters so they can go and attack people <laughs> another country will for the defences. Um, so that's the problem, you know, and actually, you know, <laughs> our enemy came from <laughs> these small microorganisms. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Asif. I, I massively appreciate you being on the show. You're, you're an amazing man, as I always tell you, and uh, we, we do appreciate it. Well, Tom, you're amazing seafood. So, yeah. <laughs> um, and so it's such an honor to be on the show. So thank you so much. Thanks, mate. I finally made my debut. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's interesting stuff, man. Uh, one thing that, that actually uh, makes me think of the, the lack of testing. My wife and I were talking about this. My son, who's very healthy, you know, we're vegetarian, we eat healthy, you know, we barely are ever sick. He and his entire class had a cough that wouldn't go away about a month ago. And, you know, I'm not saying it was the coronavirus uh, or COVID-19 or anything. It was the fact that, you know, there is no testing. My wife and I became sick right around that time for about a week. And again, I don't get sick very often. It felt like a bit pretty bad flu. And this was before we heard anything about it being in California. And, you know, you kind of would like to think as, well, maybe I've already had it and, and I'm already immune to it now or whatever. But, you know, again, none of us have been tested. The entire school wasn't, didn't even think to test anybody because we didn't have any feeling that there was anything even getting close. We were hoping it was going to get stopped up in Washington. And so it's very unfortunate that this, this is how this has happened. I believe we have heard here in the U.S. that testing kits are now being hurried out and they're trying to make them massively available, but we're, we're keeping an eye on that. Yeah, I've heard the testing kits aren't that reliable. So some, someone said they only give a 30% accurate result, wow. which was, feels pretty low, right? Yeah. I can relate to what you said there. You know, every time you have a mild discomfort in your throat or a sniffle or something like that, you're thinking, is that, you know, am I getting unwell or is this yeah. the mild form of uh, the virus? You just You just can't tell. Yeah. Exactly. This dates back to tail end of 2019. That's when this was first emerging in China. What's your perception of that? Because there was a bit of a cover up over there. Trump's got embroiled in a bit of a war of words with China. What's your perception? Well, you know, I mean, at this point, the the blame game is is pointless as far as the politicians go. As far as I'm concerned, I'm pretty pissed off the fact that they would cover it up. Many communist regimes, that's their first go-to move. Uh, you know, you said that when, yeah. we, when we were talking the other day. The fact that that would be their move, though, it's like so. there's there's something that's spreading rapidly and it could kill a lot of people. And it's like, well, yeah, don't tell anybody because it's highly infectious. It's highly, highly, highly contagious. And I think that when it's over, I'm wondering if we're going to feel more anger. Right now, people are more concerned about themselves and, you know, making sure that they meet their daily needs and, and have their work and all that. But I, I think when it's over with, people are going to come back to China and say, you know, it's, it's like, what do you have to say for yourself? Yeah. Is there were some very good people in China trying to let people know. That one doctor, I'm sorry, I forget his name, but he was, uh, he was arrested. You know, I don't know what happened to him because uh, he didn't look like an unhealthy person, but he ended up dying from the infection. And so you wonder, you know, what, what kind of treatment he had. But uh, and I don't know that there was any other kind of treatment than, than regular just uh, interviews or whatever. But he was trying to let people know as soon as he discovered. And then then when they finally decided that they had to let people know, they said, let's post date this to pretend like, you know, we just found out or something or, or that, you know, the information just came out. That way we don't look too bad. But that 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 got out from their within their own people as well. They were upset. Yeah. And I, I share I share what you're saying. I'm going to um, talk about the 
official story here, so just roll that out. So this is, when I say official, the commonly understood version of how this started. So in Hunan, in Wuhan, so this is an area of China, there is a wet market. What this means is like you have a lot of live animals um, in close proximity to each other, a lot of dead animals in close proximity to each other. And this is a food market where people purchase exotic animals to eat often for their um, healing properties or whatever it may be if you google videos of this these places it is disgusting and and incredibly backwards and interestingly from doing a bit of research on this it's actually the rich people that are buying these exotic animals most chinese people are just eating the standard kind of you know pork poultry fish beef etc that we would eat in the west so when it started in this in the market they believe it was likely to be passed from a bat to a pangolin and then on to a human the same thing happened in 2002 the coronavirus then killed about 800 people globally so much much smaller um, the reason they think this happened is of the first 41 patients 27 people had gone to that market mm. The wet market means they're slaughtered and sold for eating. The conditions are pretty disgusting. So there's blood, urine, shit everywhere from the different animals. And they're mm. all in very close proximity in cages, etc., etc. Small farmers over there will raise these animals to sell to rich people. And then we've obviously seen SARS and MERS, which were both affecting China pretty exclusively but you know there were significant outbreaks of, of exactly the same thing as in they grew off the back of bats then they showed that with SARS and those things they showed their symptoms quite early and that's probably why they the numbers were so so much smaller yeah one of the unique things about this one I believe is is stuff like it when you touch a surface when you're effect, infected that surface will stay infected for a longer period of time so it's it's a bit more contagious than those previous mm-hmm. versions were interesting china have done a decent job once they admitted to this problem they've done a decent job of controlling it and that's because they'd gone through exactly this before they had a lot of the equipment there and ready to respond Mm-hmm. And each time after the MERS or the SARS outbreak, I forget which one, but they had shut down these wet markets. But these, uh, there's a lot of lobbyists in the Chinese government that were able to push to have them reopened yeah. uh, because these rich people want to eat their exotic animals. <laughs> <laughs> That's disgusting. Well, hopefully we'll all do better um, in the future if, if we do have to go through this again. Maybe we'll all have things in place you know the rest of the world <laughs> interestingly taiwan which is is right next to china when this happened immediately they closed their borders they've let no chinese people visit the country and they've had just one death wow most things there are still open for business that shows what an effective response can deliver this is also interestingly a product of globalization yeah. yeah, there's no. if you go back 30 years you just wouldn't have had the volume of people moving around the globe that's right. spread this in the way that's that's happened yeah exactly i mean you know the the fact is a lot of us were going to be traveling by airplane in just the last uh you know even just from my work we were all going to be moving around uh jumping on airplanes and you know back 20 years ago i never had my work send me anywhere even 10 years ago we didn't just jump on airplanes and go places it was like ah you can learn it here from a textbook kind of thing 
And, uh, you know, now we have people flying all over the country, all over the world, just so they can sit through a weekend seminar. It's definitely uh, shown us how far we've come and, and also uh, it's really changed our way of life. Yeah, I recall I, I went to Thailand last year, uh, I think it was last year, with Johnny Mac and Lack and had a fantastic time there. And I visited the kind of tourist spots that I'd gone to in 2004 with my university friends over here. And it was interesting to see the dynamic there. So when I went there in 2004, the travellers were mostly young Westerners, so a lot of Australians, British, Israeli, Americans, etc. There for a good time. Yeah. And going this time, the, the beach was so packed, you basically couldn't move. So this is the place where they filmed that movie, The Beach. And oh, wow. it was you know, Arabs, Chinese, Indians and Russians. The explosion of wealth in those countries... Uh, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing, you know, like everyone should be able to travel and enjoy the sort of privileges that I could enjoy as like a poor student back in 2004. But <laughs> this beach was pretty grotesque, you know, like as in you could you could hardly move. There was like diesel spillages in the oil, in the water and stuff like that. Suntan cream sort of you could see that oily residue on, on the top of the water. And the, the world has just become, you know, totally open, I guess. <laughs> Interconnected. <laughs> Exactly. What response are they taking in terms of the economic impact in America in terms of over here, they're going to pay a lot of people 80% of what they would have earned up to a certain amount, which should safeguard people's ability to pay their rent and their mortgages, etc. But a lot of those people won't actually be able to work. What's going on over there in America? So um, Congress has just passed a $2 trillion stimulus packet. So we like our stimulus packages. (laughs) Typically, when you get a stimulus package, a lot of it goes to the banks and some of it might go to the people. We've had before where there was a $200 check given out here or there. But this time, um, they're trying to send people under a certain income. Uh, It might be under $70,000 a year. It also may have to do with how many people are in your family. Each adult should receive about $1,000. And then if you have children that are you know, that live in the home under the age of 17, you're supposed to get another $500. And again, I think this is all in the hope that this is short term, that we can, you know, ride this out here fairly quickly and then get back to work. Because this isn't like, OK, we'll send you a check every month. This is we want to keep the economy stimulated. We want to give you money. We want you to spend it and you spend it on your mortgage, but spend it, you know, on things that you need. Keep every keep everything moving. I'm glad that they're doing it. Um, I hate the fact that we're having to dip deeper into debt to do it. As I told my wife, oh well, they can just keep printing money. It's fine. <laughs> they've they've got the printing presses out there. <laughs> we'll just keep doing this for the rest of the year. But yeah, this is our big. This is the thing. We, now, and and the IRS, the tax service, they're the ones that are going to be sending the checks out. So this is interesting because we're getting close to tax time. They have extended tax time for us. It's in the the early middle part of April we, that they're due. Now uh, we are. They've extended it so that we can wait till like the end of June, I believe it is. I mean, I know it's June. I can't remember if it's the end or the middle. But if you haven't filed your taxes, the IRS is going to look at your previous year's tax return and send you the the checks based on that. And they said, if you're one of those people that hasn't filed the tax return for a couple of years, you're going to want to go ahead and file one, even if you don't have taxable income, because that's the way they're finding you to give you your money. Similar story in the UK. So for the self-employed who would be 
most affected by what you've just mentioned they're going to do like an average of what you earned over the last three years now of course the people who are self-employed typically pay themselves in a slightly different way now there might there might be elements of cash if you're like a you know working in construction yeah. uh, but you, you tend to pay yourself a small wage over here and make the rest up in dividends so it's slightly unclear what, how how they're going to support people who are self-employed Definitely. And, you know, my brother and myself both work for a university. Uh, the university is technically still open. I'm still getting a paycheck. And I don't know how they're going to know whether or not I'm working currently. You know, if they're going to send me a check and then later go, hey, you were still working, pay that back. Or if it's just like we're sending it to everyone, because I know it's supposed to be for the people that, that aren't able to work, but they didn't make it real clear, at least in the in the statements that I saw. It was like, Everyone is supposed to get this check. That's kind of what you hear. It's kind of like when, when we heard that there was free health care a few years ago with a lot of people. It's free. And then it's like, well, it's not free. It's affordable. <laughs> they were like, that's different. The whole free thing. I mean, we could talk yeah. about this for a long time, but it's such a misnomer that yeah. you know, the government are giving us this. No, they're not. They're taking, they're, they are taking that back you'll suffer for that for the rest of your life for this this period exactly. is going to be need to be paid back and if anyone listeners want to kind of google it in terms of like the volume of money the current u.s debt i think was like 20 trillion before this yeah. and it's like piling stacks of hundred dollar bills up the size of the twin towers yeah the more you add to that and we, we will all be paying that back yeah exactly so it's like uh, we have quite a few people in this country that love the idea of the government taking care of them and it's kind of like yeah they're stewards of our money at this point and that's kind of how how it should stay for 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 certain things like the military and things like that but uh you know that's a whole other issue but yeah i, I mean i'm glad that people that are not able to work are going to get some money you know i i care about my community not just my own family and i i see the the panicked looks in people's faces as they're running to the grocery stores and stuff and you know i'm happy to to know that there's going to be some money in the mail for them but it's like, yeah, we're, we're you're getting some of your own back. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Yeah. Over here, we've introduced mortgage payment holidays and rent payment holidays. But all that means is when you are back and able to pay, that you will pay more. Oh, okay. Yeah. See, I was thinking that it, that might be nice here, but I'm not sure I want to pay more later. Isn't there just a way to not have to pay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sure they'd love that, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, is there anything that you've not been able to get a hold of that you need? You know, it's funny. Um, suddenly, everybody has seemed to get involved in baking bread. My wife actually makes bread on a semi-regular basis. She's a ballet teacher, by the way, and so they've they've closed her school down. So that's part of our income. Uh, but she's like, she, you know, we're at home and we're trying, to, we're making the best of it. She's like, yeah, I'm going to make some bread and some this. And I go to buy yeast. There's no baking yeast at the stores. And so I'm like, okay, so I'll come back tomorrow. I, now, I don't know if the stores have recognized because I only see a tiny little area on the shelf for it. Maybe they need to order it at a higher volume or maybe it's just not available that quickly. But it's, you know, it's not like I can still buy bread. It's just that I was, you know, we were going to make some, some, some bread ourselves. And it's like, yeah, people have really gone out of their way to get yeast. The funny thing was when I was at the store, I, I asked the lady, one of the ladies that works there that was stocking the shelves. I said, do you guys know when, like, I'm, I said, I'm looking for yeast when your trucks would come in and deliver and I can come back. And she says, oh, I don't know anything about the, the truck's schedule. And I said, okay. And she says, yeah, but everybody's asking me how to make bread. I don't know how to make bread. Said, They're going to the lady stocking the shelves saying, hey, how do you make bread? 
And, uh, you know, I think partially it's because the kids are home from school, the youngsters. Uh, so they're probably, you know, wanting to do a lot of peanut butter and jelly. It's funny because you go down the stores, there's a lot of pasta is missing off the shelves. Pasta and, uh, of course, toilet paper, paper towels. And I think it's people are starting to realize, oh, man, I don't know how to cook. Toilet roll, hand sanitizer, you know, the big ones, I guess, that have made the news. Pasta one's a big one because I, I guess it must be because Italy is sort of out of business right Maybe. now. We would get our pasta from Italy. But that's a great one to sort of have in your cupboard because it lasts a long time. And the, the other one is like eggs. <laughs> so they're kind of rationing eggs whenever you go to like the door that you have to go up to the counter and they'll issue a small number of eggs. Oh, yeah. uh, but I think my, things might be getting slightly better now. People accepting this as the new reality. Yes, and you know what? I got to say, people, my my attitude was totally different about the rationing. People, oh, the rationing. I said, good. You know, people are going in there buying a thousand rolls of toilet paper. Now it's like I, I would have never thought they would be rationing toilet paper. It's it's just hilarious to me. These guys trying to drive out of there with a U-Haul truck of toilet paper, and I'm like, dude. I was thinking, and, and I don't want to be gross here, but it's like if you're at home and you run out, you can take a shower at least, right? But I was worried about running out at work, you know, <laughs> when I was working out at the job and they had plenty. But yeah, the the funny thing is here, pinto beans, those get snatched up pretty pretty quickly, but all the other types don't as much. Like you can get mixed dry goods, which are very healthy, and you can make, you know, my wife made a 15 bean soup yesterday. And uh, it's like because of our love of Mexican food, it's like people are like, oh, a big bag of dry pinto beans. Boy, they last you, you know, and it is true. But a lot of people don't know what to do with the other kinds of beans like lentils and black eyed peas and, and, you know, all of those delicious legumes. I hope that there's some positive things coming out of it. Maybe our country is learning how to cook again. And I see people out walking around and getting exercise and, you know, and uh, even working in gardens and things like that. That's what I'm doing. I'm at home so much. I'm digging up my backyard. <laughs> I'm going to plant a garden. Guns and ammunition have shot through the roof. That was one of the headlines that made it over here. What's your take on that? Yeah, you, you know, we, we had some really interesting, uh, you know, changes, especially in L.A. County. Right. So the sheriff, he I'm sorry, the um, chief of police. I was thinking the Old West. <laughs> the chief of police there was was tr was trying to get it so people couldn't buy guns and ammunition at all. And at the same time, now, you know, this is the United States of America, but it is California. So there's a bit of a difference of opinion in California. You know, you got like places like Texas, which is like some places are, are open carry, you know, just keep your gun visible on your hip and you're good. Other places it's like, well, you can have it, but, you know, have it up in your attic and the, and the, the ammunition has to be three miles away in a bunker somewhere and uh, you take out the clip and put it, you know, but the, the, this guy, somebody was really upset and they said, you know, this guy was trying to get it so nobody could buy guns or ammunition now, but he let 15,000 inmates out because he says, well, it'll make it easier uh, to not spread the coronavirus in the prisons. Try to figure that one out. And, uh, you know, our friend Dennis Blue has worked in the uh, in the gun um, uh, industry for quite a while, where he actually works and sells and ma he manages a, a place like that. He's kind of uh, seeing a lot of this come and go. But yeah, the ammunition going up, I have a feeling people have watched way too many doomsday movies. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I've had more, more people compare this to a zombie movie, <laughs> you know, than, than anything else. It's like, wow, you know, it's like people are looking at each other strange and they're trying to get all their products and they're hunkering down and they're... <laughs> One of the funny irrational things that I've seen is that um, 
the sales of Corona, the beer, yeah. are doing terrible. Yeah. I mean, there's no logic to that at all. <laughs> okay, so I was at the Conan O'Brien show. I was in the audience. And that was one of his opening jokes. So I've noted down here some conspiracy theory elements, right? It's a bit of fun. Yeah. I don't want anyone to write in and say, uh, you guys said this and, you know, it's just a bit of yeah. fun. So I have friends who work in China and they have contributed some of these stories. So over there, there's a lot of conspiracy theories about where this might have come from. Okay. First of all, just to mention, 2020 is the year of the rat. Yep. Um, and the story is that the rat was impatient to take over from the pig of 2019. So the transition to into this Zodiac would always be bumpy. <laughs> so that's one little thing to note. Two hospitals in Wuhan were actually named after this theory. There's a rumour that pets were spreading it in China. Oh, wow. And a few guys ended up throwing their dogs off tall buildings in China <laughs> to combat oh, that. No. <laughs> and actually another rumor that came out was when they're doing like the animal testing the poor chinese workers who are supposed to dispose of those animals took those animals down to the market and sold them instead <laughs> I, I, I hope that's i could believe that so another one here dean kunt's book called the eyes of darkness published back in 1981 a mother is looking for her son after he goes missing on a camping trip he's been held in china on lockdown there is a virus called Wuhan 400, which is developed in a lab in Wuhan. The passage in the book gives details how the virus affects the body. So, so this little theory goes back a long time. Yeah. And there is supposed to be some sort of biological weapons factory in Wuhan. Wow. Little interesting yeah. one for you there. Did you see that they actually changed the name to like a... That, like the book for a while called it one thing, and then as it, it like as it went, as it stayed on the shelves, they even changed the name, to, I think, to even be more close to the what it is now I, I remember that that's something for somebody to look up but yeah there was like different versions but as we got closer to this year they actually changed the name of the virus or the sickness you got to something closer to what it is now that's that's what i heard anyways that's another theory to look up there's been a, a war of words between sort of china and america which i, I talked to earlier and we were talking about the, the blame element which I, th I think i must have got sidetracked on yeah. talking about this more in more detail now the World Military Games were held in Wuhan this year. And that led to the Chinese saying that the US Army may have released the virus when they were over. <laughs> and that then led Donald Trump to call it the Chinese virus in response to that. And he's, he's explicitly said that's why he refers to it as the Chinese virus. He's got some <laughs> stick about that. Some It's caused com some controversy because they say Asians are getting beaten up for you've caused the virus. Yeah. What's your take on that? Well, of course, that's ridiculous. I mean, uh, if, just look at the results. I mean, it's all it's it's affecting us and our economy and everybody else is, you know, like crazy. And I think if they released it on purpose, that they would know that that would happen. It wouldn't be locked down only over there or just affect a few people. Like I talked about the the director that I work for that's Asian. You know, I said, I said, I think we're a little bit past this being an Asian problem now. You know, um, if people are, oh, no, it's an Asian guy. He's coughing. You know, he might he might have COVID-19. <laughs> My son was really upset about that. You know, he heard about a, a young man, not not in his school, but a young Asian kid that he'd been beaten up by a bunch of other people because they were blaming him for bringing the virus. You know, he's like, I'm an American. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. Asian-American, dude. There's an idea that China 
release the virus to cull prisoners to bring their prison population down. Don't know if that has any uh, merit. Also, her pensioners. I'm misreading this. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> his pensioners. <laughs> Be nice if I could read. Well, I'll probably leave this in because. But that's an interesting theory, and I'm isolating away from like it was Mother's Day in the UK last weekend, and I would have liked to have gone and seen my parents. I'm I'm staying away from them and sort of doing yes. FaceTime calls and things like that. But it's it's rough not seeing them. It is. I, I'm missing the gym and working out, and other than that, it's just going up to see them. And really, I'd like to go and hang out and be in isolation at their house, and my mum can cook for me all the time. But yeah, it, it's going to disproportionately affect the old, and that is one of the reasons why Italy's been so badly affected because they have an elderly yeah. population. They tend to take good care of their their elderly. Uh, it, it seems, you know, very conscious about taking care of the older generation, and so they may even live longer. The American lifestyle sometimes, you know, are they get off and they they get put in a uh, in a home or something. Some, you know, if they can afford it, or or they just don't eat very well. You know, the Western diet doesn't always uh, support people quite well. And they they may not live quite as long. Here's another one. So this is a bioweapon sort of conspiracy. A group of Chinese scientists in Canada were accused of spying and stripped of access to Canada's National Microbiology Lab, which is where they work on the deadliest pathogens. Dr. Francis Boyle, the creator of the Bioweapons Act, claims that the coronavirus is an offensive biological warfare weapon with DNA genetic engineering. How do you prove or disprove that one? I mean... Francis Boyle, that just sounds like a fictitious name for me, so I'm going to just say it's false. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's my scientific process. <laughs> it's sort of attacking everyone, so I think it's difficult to say. If, if it was a biological weapon, I think it's difficult to say, you know, it's not targeted anywhere. Uh-huh. Okay, here's another one. The Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesman Zhao Li Han sent five tweets claiming the US military brought the coronavirus to Wuhan when they attended the military Olympic Games in October 2019. The virus could have been created by the US as part of a new stage of warfare with China aimed at destabilising Chinese society and breaking the Chinese economic system. Just last year, the US played a key role in supporting the Hong Kong protests, especially in the mainstream media. In this version of events, the coronavirus is both a biological weapon and a weapon in the ongoing optics war. Well, I would say again, just like I said, uh, one of the previous ones, if this was aimed at China, we've pretty much kicked ourselves in the nuts. You know, I mean, I have a hard time seeing this as aimed at any one country unless it just got really out of hand. And that's the way you wanted to you know, look at it. But yeah, I, I find these, you know, it, it, it's because of the finger pointing. People, people are wanting to say, this isn't our fault. You're the one that did it. It's probably your fault. It's like, yeah, childish, but uh, even grown-ups can uh, can go down that road. Yeah, I think we have got to get past the, the blame game, although I would like to China to permanently close wet markets. Yes, me too. I hope that's, that's an outcome, hopefully, of this. Yeah. Uh, okay, here's another one. The epidemic was created by the global lobby and deep state in order to destroy Trump. Pandemic scenarios have already been discussed in publications related to the Rockefeller Foundation, namely in a document entitled Scenarios for the Future of Technology and International Development, which was published 10 years ago. The very first script is called Lockstep, a world of tighter top-down government control and more authoritarian leadership, with limited innovation and growing citizen pushback. 
This section describes how states organise total control over the population through an artificial pandemic. Under the guise of a good deed, the populations of countries will be deprived of many of their freedoms voluntarily. In the US, pro-Trump journalists and channels such as the cable network OAN have suggested that the COVID-19 was created in a North Carolina laboratory. The American journalist Greg Rubini stated that the COVID was genetically engineered as a bioweapon at the University of North Carolina BSL-3 lab. He added the main aim of the new virus was the destruction of Trump's economy. Thoughts? (laughs) (laughs) It's hard to disprove things, right? It's like until there's evidence, you can't prove that it isn't true. I will say one thing. I do agree that many times when there are extremes that happen... Many times we walk out with less freedoms, you know, whether it's intended or not, you know, like with 9-11 here, there was some bills passed that that made it, this, you know, and again, you can argue whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. Like, Hey, we're going to keep you guys safe from terrorists. So we're going to start being able to tap your phones and stuff. If we think there's even the slightest chance you might work with some of these groups, right? Many people are like, that's fine. I don't want people blowing up my work or an airplane. The other side, you're like, yeah, but we have the Bill of Rights and we have the right to privacy and I don't want to give that right. So, you know, I can see where, where people start to lean on lean this direction. But the fact is, we don't know that this is the reason for it. You can't say this is the reason this is going on because somebody did this on purpose. We have lost freedoms. We can't go where we want right now because the government says don't go where you want right now unless this, this and this. You can't gather together. That doesn't mean that it's an on-purpose thing. That doesn't mean that uh, people aren't actually getting sick and dying from something that has uh, crossed over from the beastie sort of uh, population. But in future, there might be a lot of this stuff in place, like in China, that says, hey, if if this happens again, we're going to be much faster to react. We're going to not let it spread as quickly. And you guys will lose some freedoms. But uh, that's the way it's going to be. So that plays nicely into this next one. So... The coronavirus is being used to justify authoritarian rule. Yay! (laughs) Some conspiracy (laughs) theories suggest that the new virus is an effort to allow governments around the world to take authoritarian measures and increase their power over the public. Quarantine regimes allow governments total power and legitimacy. The French example is perfect. Growing dissatisfaction with Macron's policies led to the Yellow Vest movement and massive demonstrations, and now there is an official reason to ban the protests. Hmm. The state of emergency gives the president full power. Macron has taken measures such as the cancellation of taxes for the quarantine, along with rent payments for small companies, all of which will garner support for Macron in society. I mean, you could see that certainly (laughs) happening with Hong Kong as well. Oh, yeah. This isn't as much a conspiracy theory as I mean, it might be a conspiracy theory, but it, but it's like this will happen. You know, there are people in politics for their own benefit. And some people are good that go into politics. They want the best for their country. Other people less so. This is just how things tend to go. You know, uh, the government takes executive control of everything. Right. And, and he he starts to not have to go through Congress to make decisions. When you say this is a national emergency, the president has the power to act differently from the way he would normally have to act. And so depending on who's the president and who his advisors are, that could play out very differently. And and again, that doesn't mean it's purpose. It doesn't mean that the coronavirus was made for this reason, but that could be an outcome that we see. 
it's like the income tax for us. The income tax was not constitutional. It happened during war. It's not constitutional to tax something when you buy and tax when you make the money. But what happened was during a war, they were like, we need the extra money, so we're going to tax you on both ends. And then it wasn't rescinded. It wasn't taken away. So then, you know, people have argued it. People have fought it. And for years, people could actually get out of paying their income tax if they brought it, went to the right court. And then finally, it was just kind of like, you know what, if you bring that into these courts anymore, we're just going to put you in jail. And so that kind of got away. We even heard, we, we had the uh, advertisements on the radio. We actually had people, I'm a lawyer. You don't have to pay income tax. They would help people figure out that they did not legally have to pay income tax. And then suddenly that was just squashed. And so, you know, it's, it's not like necessarily that the war was created or started so that we'd have to pay income tax, but they're like, well, we're not giving that back. And I think the same thing happens. Sometimes rights are taken away and they're like, well, we like it better this way. We like the control. Yeah, I was, I was having a conversation with my brother, who's much more left wing than me. And he was saying, oh, you need taxes, blah, blah. And I said, well, no, you don't necessarily. And I, I wasn't trying to just push his buttons and annoy him because he and I have always sat on other ends of the spectrum. But the point is, it's so ingrained in him now that paying taxes is essential. And it's like it's like the earth is round yeah. to him yeah. that taxes are required. You know, and I said to him, look, there's 12 states in America that do not have income tax. And we thought, how do you get things done? And I said, well, they might have not quite as good services, but services will emerge when they're required. And actually those states, states, sorry, have the highest happiness statistics, the highest birth rates, yeah. uh, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I just know that from following the Libertarian Party a bit online. And I, I kind of like some of their ideals, not everything, right. but I can relate to that sort of movement. But I think most people have just come to accept that, yeah, taxation is okay. And it only goes in one direction. And there's so many stealth taxes, you know, in, here in the UK, insurance premium tax has gone up. It's probably like doubled over a period of time. It's not the kind of tax that you notice because it's not income tax. You know, something that's interesting too, is that in this country, the Republican Party, more than the Democrats, uh, in, in, from what I've seen, tend to be the ones represented with uh, the statements like smaller government, things like that. And it's funny that, you know, to have a Republican president right now, a very Republican president, and suddenly, you know, we're, we're basically looking to the president every day. OK, what do we do now? <laughs> you know, I don't think that, that the virus was a purposeful thing from our government or from our labs. But, uh, you know, I can't disprove that, I guess. But who can? Let's talk about the future. Okay. So how long do you think this will last and how do you think it will play out? Well, you know, I'm an optimist. That's just the way I look at the world. I, I really hope that we get into a position in the next few months where we have at least things in control. And I think that social distancing, the, the, the lower level, where it's like, okay, keep six feet from everybody. How many meters is that for? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> We're doing two meters here. You know, it's good that people remember not to panic about being near people. You know, it is a droplet carried disease that people get this idea that there's this this evil mist that hangs around people that are sick. And if you walk near them, you're automatically sick. They have to cough. It has to get on something or, or their saliva has to touch something. But people, especially Westerners, we eat a lot of fast food with our hands. We have a, a culture that walks in, grabs a door handle at a, at a Del Taco or a McDonald's. They go, they order their food, they do not wash their hands, they start shoving french fries in their mouth with their bare hands. And then we're going, well, I wasn't around anyone sick. Well, you know, yeah, you know that the symptoms don't necessarily show right away, but 
there's like nobody was coughing near me. How am I sick? Well, we stick our hands in our mouths constantly. I think that's going to change quite a bit. What I'd love to see, you know, there, there's a major problem that we have in probably all of our countries that affects the economy. And this is a perfect time to, to change this. And that is to, for people to focus more on prevention. I thought about putting some, some videos out on health, but I, I thought it was the wrong time because people start to misunderstand that you're saying this is a cure or this is going to fix the, the coronavirus. But the idea is if people found themselves in you know, exercising, eating healthy, where this would help a lot with our economy and our insurance prices going through the roof already. People go to doctors for drugs. They just they, they go to get a pill so they don't feel bad, but they're never addressing the problem. This is already a problem. So imagine if the target group that this COVID-19 was affecting was much smaller. You know, there was a much smaller group that, that it was killing. This could have been a much smaller problem. And, and again, I hope that people focus on this. I don't I, I don't know because we all take the path. I think most people take the path of least resistance. But I like to look at things the way Bruce Lee did and, and, and always focus on adaptation, trying to go a, a, in a way that is functional, not just because it's easy, but because it's, it's the best outcome that you can get. Yeah, as I alluded to in the conversation I had with Asif, I think some of the interesting things that will come out of this is everyone is washing their hands now, using hand sanitizer. Yes. That's a good habit. I'd always seen Asian people like wearing the mask sometimes when they were ill. Yeah. Everyone's doing that over here in the UK now. That's mu that's a much more common thing to do now when you're unwell or to prevent from getting unwell. Yeah, I think the use of technology and working from home will grow quite a bit. So some proper technophobe friends yeah. of mine, we've been doing Zoom calls and all having a drink together, like kind of talking over Zoom. <laughs> and some companies that maybe felt that working from home was an excuse not to do work will find that actually their employees can be pretty productive and I think the younger generation now, they expect to work from home. Yeah, it's going to be a big thing. Like I said, I work in IT and it was funny, a previous time when I worked at this university, it was very resistant. If I, It's like, hey, can I just work from home these couple of days? They were, well, use sick time. No, I'm working from home. I'm not going to be sick. You know, I said, well, I don't know. I don't know how you, and I said, we are the people that control the remote technology. <laughs> of course I can work from home. And it's like, I sit outside the server room. I don't ever have to walk into the server room to touch the, the keyboards in there. I'm working remotely. We keep all that locked down. And even though I'm just a few feet away, it's still remote. It's still not me touching the servers and the, and the, the, the individual the boxes in there. So we're going to get, yeah, I think that people are opening up their minds a little bit. There's a lot of technophobes that are just having to adapt. And at the same time, hopefully we won't become less social, you know, as a, as a, as a people. I like to see people in person. I like to shake hands and all that. We need to keep washing our hands. That's, that's a good thing. But people also need to get in the dirt because the, the, the microbes that you find in the dirt are quite healthy for your immune system. You know, unless somebody just spit on it and they're sick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. For me, I feel like this feels like it's going to last six months. I feel like the lockdown situation will probably last at about like up, up to three months. We're, we're already kind of two weeks into it here in the UK. I think the world will change off the back of it. What worries me most is how hard people are going to be financially hit at the end of it. I say it worries me most. What worries me most is like, you know, p people like my parents, the elderly and the weak who will get yes. hit hardest by this from a health perspective. But the 
ongoing sort of economic impact to middle class and poor people I think is is going to be pretty devastating and I think something needs to be done to sort of redistribute wealth in some sort of way so these people can survive make the world a bit fairer yeah and that's I mean and I'm a capitalist you know and I believe you know I mean we we have to take care of people in these times it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting I hope that I can be helpful to people it's easy to just think about myself and I'm looking around my neighborhood so far everybody seems fine <laughs> if we're going to make it come to a stop we're going to have to continue the quarantines you know, some people are hoping that when the hot months show up, that it'll go away like the flu, you know, but they can't prove that to be true. Um, in the meantime, we use social distancing and we uh, keep washing our hands and don't cough on people's faces. <laughs> and then, you know, hopefully we we can get this uh, th- this in control and learn some good, valuable lessons from it, which is the, the, the only positive thing you can get out of it, probably. Yeah. I'll close out the show with this thought. When we emerge out of the back of this, I think everyone needs to be looking at what will my life look like? What will have changed? What will I improve? With a view to the future, let's get through this and then make the future better. I agree. Thanks for your time, Jeremy Lynch. Or did you want to close out with anything in terms of like advertising your services or anything like that? I will just say we, uh, Dennis, Dennis Blue and I are going to work on a new video series when we're able to, and uh, it's going to have the, the training aspects on the side. One video will be for the physical fitness. The other side is the JKD, uh, the Jeet Kune Do side of it. And just keep an eye out for that. And everybody keep safe and healthy and, you know, live each day looking out for each other, you know, and God bless everybody. Amen to that. Primal Radio. Peace out. You have been listening to Primal Radio in association with Primal Gym and Primal Promotions. Primal Radio is available on all good podcast venues. To help us grow, please subscribe, like it, share it, and leave us a great review.